Just Thinking with hosts Dara Harrison and Virgil Walker, bringing you week-to-week cultural apologetics as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is Just Thinking. Let's think. We're back. It's another edition of the Just Thinking podcast. I am Virgil Walker. And I am Daryl Harrison. What's going on, Oma? Here's the crazy part about that. You got people, two two things, two things, bro. One is you got people on Twitter spelling that out yes. as they at me. Right? They're spelling that out. They go, Oma, O-M-A-H-E-E-E. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're they're getting at they they're, they're hitting the at me and they're, they're typing all of that out. So that's that's the that's the funny part. The second thing is, man, and I I didn't even know what to do with it. Like, uh, first of all, I told you when we started this thing, I was not a Twitter guy. I, I mean, I just yep. I I was a Facebook guy. I kind of did my thing on Facebook. I told you I got on Twitter only to watch my Oklahoma you know Oklahoma football, my Sooners, right? Right. I when we started this thing i think i think i might have had 200 followers yeah i might have had 200 followers yeah and then fooling around with you in this show <laughs> you just broke 5000 twitter followers the other day bro man and 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 i was i was cruising along look i'm not here's the thing i i do what i do on twitter i don't post as often as some but i've been i've tried to i've tried to improve my twitter game I tried to improve right. my Twitter game. Tried, hey, right. let me get my stuff out there. We're on a podcast. You want to stay visible? All of that stuff. I'm just trying to find. I'm Robin. You're Batman. I'm just trying to come alongside and play my role. <laughs> so, so I'm doing my thing, and then all of a sudden, I notice a tweet by you that said, "Hey, let's get this brother to five thousand. I'm like, man, here he goes again. Here he goes. <laughs> yeah, here, just, here he I goes just, again. Hey. I just took that upon myself there, bro. I, I saw I just that. Noticed, I said, man, the brothers within 100 followers of having 5,000. Now you're almost at 5,100. Yeah. As soon as you did that, it's like, here, here comes the flood. Yeah. And uh, I, I think, I think in, in a matter of hours, man, I was already crossed yeah. the 5,000 threshold. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it didn't it, take so. long. Didn't take, no. you hit, you hit, you crossed over 5,000 that day, that yeah. afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it didn't take long at all, man. But uh, I'm happy for you, bro. And uh, yeah, well, for thanks. our listeners yeah. who are on Twitter right now who's not following, <laughs> they're not following you yet. They need to follow Virgil Oma. <laughs> that is crazy. Well, man, I appreciate it, and uh, man, I, I hope to continue to put out content that's encouraging. In fact, man, most of the stuff I I push out there has some relationship to do with the show and what you and I've got going on anyway. So I, I follow you, man. You are a monster out there. And some of the, the folks at founders, I follow Ligonier. I follow, of course, follow grace to you and all the stuff that's going on there with Phil and different folks and just try to keep up. It's a great, it's been a great way to keep my finger kind of on the pulse of, of, of culture, really, especially Christian culture and the like. And, uh, and to know, especially as you and I, as, as you as you send topics my way for me to get up to speed on, uh, it's incredibly helpful to be on 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 the Twitters and uh, doing what I do on in that space. So it's all good. You know, Omaha, when you talk about you know being on social media and how 
much of what you post on social media has relevance or to some direct or indirect indirect degree to the podcast, the Just Thinking podcast and what we right. do here every week. It's almost that 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 reality is almost unavoidable because we've we've covered, man, almost pretty much every topic from A to Z. Right. I mean, we we, we have such a uh, diverse uh, topic repository that we've dealt with on this episode. And today, mm-hmm. as we record this, this is our last, our final new episode for 2019. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you think about how quickly this year has gone by and all the topics, man, that we've covered. Yeah, it's a lot of ground. On the on the show this year, mm-hmm. we, we just hope our listeners have been edified by what we've done. Hopefully they can tell me you and I have fun doing this. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it takes a ton of work just behind uh-huh. the scenes to get prepared. But just from some of the reviews and all the feedback that we've been getting from our listeners, man, it makes it all worth it. So I, I just want to um, thank our listeners for the reviews, man. Those, those mean the world to us, to Daryl yeah, and I both, yeah. uh, to Dwayne, who's produces the show. Uh, it means the world to us just seeing that you guys are, are experiencing tremendous benefit, uh, man, the, you know, my, uh, my brother, Daryl, he does some heavy, heavy lifting, uh, in the theology department on, on, on these shows. And I, I get the joy of kind of once he's put that together, taking some pot shots and, and doing some different things on the side and, uh, adding my commentary to some of those things, but man, it, it, it blesses our socks to know, you know, I, I don't know how much, how many hours, bro, you put in, but I, but I know for me, it's, it's a, it's an enormous amount of time once I get your notes and, just trying to make sure I'm keeping up and keeping stride with what you've got going. And, uh, and it makes it all worthwhile, man, when we get one, you know, one or two of our listeners who send us a feedback and say, Hey, this really made a difference for me or, or even took pictures of maybe a book recommendation that you put yeah. out there, or maybe something I said, or, uh, or, 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 or picked up a quote, from something we said and put it in a meme or, I mean, it just, it means the world. So we really, really appreciate that. Wait, bro. You said something a second ago. You wear socks. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. What do you <laughs> say? It blesses our socks. I'm like, wow, you wear socks. Anyway, bro, <laughs> let's get rolling, man. Let's get rolling let's with this it. week's let's topic, you know, and let me just mention at the top for the benefit of our listeners, this happens a lot. Well, we get recommendations from of topics from our listeners, but uh, we don't have the opportunity to, uh, you know, act on all of those recommendations. Uh, mm-hmm. But the, for the benefit of, of our listeners, I do want to mention, Omaha, that the topic we're addressing in this episode today is one of those topics that was suggested to us by one of our most loyal listeners mm. whose name I will not mention, but she knows who she is. Mention, uh, <laughs> Uh, even if I don't mention her, but this topic was, was suggested to us by one of our most loyal listeners. Wow. And it was mentioned during a conversation she and I were having while we were in the car last week on our way back from wait, wait a minute. breakfast at a, wait a, a minute. local you, rec- restaurant. You, you were in a car with someone and you, okay. I'm going I'm to leave that and alone. Was, yeah. And oh. it was a, a she. <laughs> I'm going to leave that alone. It was a she. It was a she too. <laughs> don't let my wife hear this episode. <laughs> <laughs> now you're gonna have our listeners thinking, what, 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 uh-huh, how do we put uh-huh. those together? How do who we is yeah. this, who is <laughs> anyway? <laughs> so the topic that was suggested that we're gonna be talking about in this episode, we titled this episode Superstitious Christianity. Mm-hmm. Superstitious Christianity. And you know, Omaha, when it comes to the issue of 
superstitious Christianity, the first thing we must do is acknowledge the fact that there are countless professing Christians around the world today who, in fact, are superstitious. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, we may as well acknowledge that right at the top of this episode. Because if we deny that reality, that would make us guilty of being willfully naive. Okay, Mm -hmm. so let's just go ahead and say right at the top that there are countless of professing Christians around the world today, some of whom may be even listening to this episode, who are superstitious. Now, having said that, I want to make it clear to our listeners that the purpose of this episode is not to discuss specific superstitious habits and practices that professing Christians happen to be engaged in because unfortunately we don't have enough time to discuss them all. (laughs) Right, right, right. I'd say that being somewhat (laughs) facetious, but only somewhat. Right. Okay. We don't have time to discuss all the superstitious habits and practices that professing Christians, many professing Christians happen to be engaged in. Now the primary episode, uh, uh, rather the primary objective of this episode, can you mark that Virgil? Can you mark that for me? Yep. Yep. The primary objective of this episode is to look at what the Word of God has to say about why it is unbiblical for those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, the sovereign creator of the universe, to hold to superstitions in the first place, regardless of what those specific superstitions happen to be. Okay, now I want to repeat that. Just so our listeners understand the context of where we're coming from. The objective of this episode on superstitious Christianity is to not discuss specific superstitious habits and practices, okay? Instead, our goal is to establish why being superstitious is unbiblical in the first place, okay? So that's where we're coming from. Now, as we begin a conversation on superstitious Christianity, I do want to start by doing what we normally do here on the Just Thinking Podcast, and that is by defining key terms so that we establish some context for the topic we're going to be talking about. Now, to that end, it should be noted at the beginning here that the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines the word superstitious as, one, a belief or practice resulting from ignorance, fear of the unknown, trust in magic or chance, or a false conception of causation. That's definition number one. A belief or practice resulting from ignorance, fear of the unknown, trust in magic or chance, or a false conception of causation. Definition number two from Merriam-Webster. An irrational, abject attitude of mind toward the supernatural, nature, or God resulting from superstition. Okay, so that's definition number two, an irrational, abject attitude of mind toward the supernatural nature or God resulting from superstition. And then thirdly, from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, superstitious is defined as a notion maintained despite evidence to the contrary. Mm. Okay, that's the third definition, a notion maintained despite evidence to the contrary. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to urge our listeners to keep those definitions in mind as we unpack this topic further. But to provide some additional context at this point in our discussion, there are a few quotes I want to share 
on the topic of superstition that I think will add some value to this conversation as a whole. The first quote is from the 17th century English philosopher, Sir Francis Bacon, who said this, quote, the general root of superstition is, namely, that men observe when things hit and not when they miss mm-hmm. and commit to memory the one and forget and pass over the other, unquote. That was Sir Francis Bacon on superstition. Conversely, the 20th century French author Albert Camus said this, quote, most people, assuming they had not altogether abandoned religious observances or did not combine them naively with a thoroughly immoral way of living, have replaced normal religious practices by more or less extravagant superstitions, unquote. That was Albert Camus, French author. In her book entitled The Visitor, the late science fiction writer Sherry S. Tepper, T-E-P-P-E-R, wrote this, quote, Mankind accepts good fortune as his due, but when bad occurs, he thinks it was aimed at him, done to him, a hex, a curse, a punishment by his deity for some transgression, as though his God were a petty storekeeper counting up the day's receipts, unquote. <laughs> that was Sherry S. Tepper, the late science fiction author. Lastly, I want to quote from the 19th century Irish author, Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu. Le Fanu wrote this, quote, There is a faculty in man that will acknowledge the unseen. Mm-hmm. He may scout and scare religion from himself, but if he does, superstition perches near, unquote. Now, any thoughts from you, Omaha, on the quotes I just read, particularly in light of the definition of the word superstitious that I gave earlier from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, my friend? No, I thought I thought that was good. It's important, I think, for we get new listeners all the time. And, uh, you know, those who kind of listen to us new are wondering, you know, what in the world? Why, why are they taking, you know, early part of this uh, of, of the time unpacking? definitions you know unlike other podcasters preachers or politicians we want to be crystal clear about what about what we mean and the meaning of words uh, that we use ideas that we use when we discuss topics and our goal is mm-hmm. always to provide the greatest amount of clarity possible mm-hmm. when walk when walking through subject matter so while it may may seem mundane or even to 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 an extreme to be pedantic to some with with regard to the subjects that we cover uh, we have an eye toward the, the the minute details of words and and so we mm-hmm. we find it we find it helpful in the long run to begin with with accuracy by what we mean and what we're saying and so mm-hmm. with regard to with regard to Webster's definition man I thought I thought that some of the some of the ways that the words had been used in the past were interesting for example when Webster defined the term as an irrational abject attitude of mind uh, toward the supernatural nature or God resulting from superstition. I think it's evident that many Christians can easily fall into that category as we often desire to reduce God to what we can understand with our minds mm. rather than rather than defining God by what is revealed about him in the scripture through the life mm-hmm. of Christ. And so uh, th- those are the kinds of things that when you when you look at you can see how yeah, we we, we it, it would be easy for us to think superstitious. Well, that why are they talking about that? That's not me. 
Uh, and even looking at the definitions that, that Merriam-Webster provided, ah, that's, not, that's really not me. But the reality is, to some level, to some degree, if we really examine our lives, we'd have to be honest and say, you know what, there's some things that I do. Uh, that that lend themselves to to superstitious attitudes and behaviors. And so those are the kinds of things that we're going to talk about during our show. Great point, bro. You know, um, as I reflect on those comments, Omaha, from Bacon, Camus, Temper, and Lefanu, as well as the Webster's defini- definition of superstitious, you know, I find it difficult to come up with any other way of life that could be regarded as more antithetical to what it means to truly be a follower of Jesus Christ than to be a superstitious Christian. And I put the term superstitious Christian in in air quotes. Mm -hmm. I really find it difficult to nail down any other way of life that could be regarded as more antithetical to what it means to be a true believer in Christ than to be a superstitious Christian. In fact, my rationale in quoting the aforementioned individuals at the outset of this episode is to help bring to light the manner in which many professing Christians live today. And I emphasize the word professing. I want to bring to light the manner in which many professing Christians live today Mm -hmm. as superstitious Christians, because the truth is they are individuals who are walking contradictions of what it means to believe in and live for the God who not only created the universe, but who ordains and controls everything that occurs in it. Now, that truth is wonderfully stated in chapter five of the Westminster Confession of Faith, which reads this way, quote, God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose and govern all creatures, actions and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy, unquote. I was quoting chapter five there from the Westminster Confession of Faith. You know, in keeping with that statement from the Westminster Confession of Faith, I want to quote from the Prince of Preachers himself, none other than Charles Spurgeon, from a sermon he gave on July 7th, 1881, entitled My Solace in My Affliction. This is Spurgeon from the sermon, My Solace in My Affliction. Quote, God has a plan. Depend upon it. It were an insult to the supreme intellect if we supposed that he worked at random, without plan or method. To some of us, it is a truth which we never doubt, that God has one boundless purpose which embraces all things, both things which he permits and things which he ordains without for a moment denying the freedom of the human will. We still believe that the Supreme wisdom foresees also the curious twistings of human will and overrules all for his own ends. That was Charles Spurgeon from his sermon in 1881 entitled my solace and my affliction. You know, the sad reality, Omaha, is that a quote-unquote superstitious Christian doesn't believe any of what I just read from Charles Spurman or Spurgeon or from the Westminster Confession. Mm. Oh, 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 sure. They'll say with their mouth that they believe mm-hmm. God is sovereign, mm-hmm. that he is omnipotent, and that he reigns supreme over everything that exists. But they deny that profession by the way they think, by the way they live, and by the way they act. 
Mm-hmm. They're people who profess to trust God while at the same time engaging in secular and worldly practices and traditions, which they believe will bring them good luck, particularly as it relates to themselves and their loved ones having health and wealth in the new year, which is actually the time of year that we're recording this episode. We're about a little more than two weeks away from 2020, the year 2020. Right. right. These are professing Christians now that I'm talking about. Okay. I'm not talking about people who do not profess to know Jesus Christ as Savior. The individuals I'm speaking of are professing believers, people who read and rely on horoscopes, who seek Mm. out and entreat mediums and palm readers, who give their money to so-called Christian ministries in exchange for nugatory trinkets such as prayer cloths and bottles of holy water, which they believe can act as spiritual viaducts through which God will work to bring about the desires of their heart. These are professing Christians I'm talking about. Right. These are individuals, okay? These are individuals who indulge in all manner of superstitious rites and rituals while at the same time holding to a syncretistic theology of God and that despite their idolatry, and that's exactly what superstition is, is idolatry. Right. Despite their idolatry that somehow God will work in their lives through those spiritual viaducts that I talked about, God will work in their lives to bring their ill-advised and foolhardy desires to fruition. Mm. Now, needless to say, that is not how the God of the Bible works in the lives of his people today. You got any thoughts on that, Omaha? Man, a lot. You power-packed a lot, especially in the in the last section when you kind of kind of went off off script a bit and kind of talked about what, you know, the, the syncretistic uh, theology of of God that folks have and hold. I, I, what it reminded me of was uh, was some of the stuff that I've seen uh, on TBN on YouTube, where where where, the, where these folks grab a holy water and they throw the holy water on folks, and folks fall out and and kind of and kind of carry on. I mean, it, it's really it, it's laughable on one on one end and sad. Uh, on the other, you know, for me, I was having flashbacks of the stuff I used to buy from from TBN back in the day when you were talking about prayer cloths and all that kind of stuff, right? Wait, wait, so wait, this, wait, 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 Did you say TBN? <laughs> TBN, right? As in, as in, as in that TBN, right? That TBN, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I, I got, I got, I got a few things of interest, man, that might interest you from 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 those days, right? So this subject for me is even even closer to home than many may realize. I mean, it's easy for us to look at those who those who are in or formerly a part of charismatic circles. However, I think it's also important uh, for those of us in so-called traditional and or reformed circles who may be unable to worship God without the image of the cross in view uh, or, or things in the main sanctuary in view. Uh, we, we've got to think about that. No one, no one, for example, places a guillotine around their neck, uh, an instrument of death. However, there are many times we've witnessed so-called Christians, especially Christian sports heroes or those claiming to be Christian, who kiss the cross that's wrapped around their neck before they go on to do the next major sports activity, right? Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm always amazed when I see Christians watching that kind of display and they cheer and they applaud for someone doing something they see that when, when, they, when they do those kinds of things and they believe that to be some godly action uh, on the part of their favorite sports hero. So I, I know that this kind of thing that, that you're referring to, uh, it, 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 it's exposing superstitious rites and rituals, but but engaging in these practices also exposes our syncretistic theology of God, which you said it earlier uh, in your comments. This is based up. This this basically is idolatry. 
Yes. Uh, it, mm-hmm. It's the equivalent of, of what the children of Israel did with the golden calf, right? Mm-hmm. They believed themselves to be worshiping Yahweh as they crafted in, him into an image of a golden calf. And for, for us, we, we believe God to be, to, to, we, we believe rather God to be somehow working through this self-prescribed ritual act that we endeavor to engage in. Those, these kinds of things are important, not only from a standpoint of being, being on a being from the side where you can say, ah, we'll point at those crazies over at TBN or we'll point at those yeah. crazy charismatics. But man, what is it that I personally do in my own life oh, that, that, that takes the form of, of, of these kinds of ritualistic superstition, though I wouldn't call them that. But at the end of the day, when I really examine my own heart, this is ritualistic, you know, superstition, and, and it really mm-hmm. is a is a form of idolatry. How, we, mm-hmm. we, we've got to examine our own heart concerning the matter. That's some excellent stuff there, Omaha. You know, I appreciate, man, you being willing to be transparent about your own history in, in uh, charismaticism and yep. and you're being attracted to all those gimmicks and, and oh, I don't know what you would call them, man, on TBN, which is still going on today, bro, you know, as yeah. we speak. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. but, you know, now at this point, I want to reiterate something I said at the start of the episode that the purpose of this episode, again, is not to discuss specific superstitions that some Christians engage in. Right. But to bring the word of God to bear on the broader issue of the theological dualism that is superstitious Christianity. In other words, when you boil it all down, what we're essentially dealing with here are two types of Christians. OK. Those who subscribe to an orthodox view of the sovereignty of God and those who don't. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's what we're talking about here when it all boils down. Right. You have one group of people who subscribe to an orthodox view of the sovereignty of God and those who don't. It's that mm-hmm. simple. Right, right. You take a text like Job chapter 42, verse 2. Job 42, 2. Job says to God, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That's Job 42.2. Job was someone who believed in the sovereignty of God without question. Mm-hmm. Now, another passage of Scripture that underscores the reality that the purposes of God cannot be thwarted is found in Judges chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, concerning the marriage of Samson. Okay, so this is Judges chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. And of course, as usual, nothing's changed, even though we're at the end of a Almost at the end of the year 2019, I will be reading from the non-Armenian Standard Bible translation. This is Judges 14, verses 1 through 4, talking about how the purposes of God cannot be thwarted. Verse 1, then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah one of the daughters of the Philistine. Now get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she looks good to me. Verse four, however, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord. For he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Mm-hmm. Again, that was Judges chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. You know, one of the most definitive verses in Scripture, Omaha, concerning God's sovereign providence over all that occurs in the world is found in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33. It reads this way. The lot is cast into the lap, 
but it's every decision is from the Lord. Amen. That's Proverbs 1633. The lot mm-hmm. is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Likewise, Ecclesiastes 7 verse 14, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 14, one of, if not the, uh, one verse in all of scripture that I, that I hold incredibly highly as it relates to my own personal walk with the Lord. Ecclesiastes 7.14 says, In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, remember, the Lord has made the one as well as the other. Mm. Awesome verse there. Then in Psalm chapter 115, verses 1 through 3, the psalmist writes this, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nations say, where now is your God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. That was Psalm 115, verses 1 through 3. And then, of course, there's everyone's favorite verse, Romans 8, 28. Right, right. And, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That was Romans 8, 28. Now I want to park at Romans 8.28 for a second, Omaha, because in addition to being one of the most quoted verses in the New Testament, if not the entire Bible, it is also one of the most misunderstood verses. What the Apostle Paul has given us in Romans 8.28 is referred to as a conditional promise from God. It is not a universal promise in that it does not apply to everyone. Paul says here that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, with that qualifier in mind, Omaha, that that promise is a conditional promise, the question naturally becomes for us, who are the those who love God that Paul is talking about in Romans 8.28? Right, right. That is the question that is rarely, if ever, asked when we hear Romans 8.28 cited for whatever reason. The answer to that question, all right, Paul says that, All things work together for good to those who love God. So the question is, who is the those who love God that Paul is talking about? Now, the answer to that question is found in such texts as 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, which reads, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And then there's John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 15, where Jesus himself says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, someone listening to this episode may be saying to themselves right about now, okay, Daryl, but what in the world does any of that have to do with the tradition my great-great-grandma taught me about making sure I have some black eyed peas and collard greens on New Year's Day? (laughs) Well, I'll I'll tell you. Let me tell you. I'll tell you what it has to do with it. It has to do with it because the person who professes to love God obeys God. And it is the height of disobedience to profess a love for God, yet in your heart to rob him of his sovereignty by attributing to a superstitious tradition, rite, or ritual such as black-eyed peas and collard greens to rob God of the divine power, capability, and ability that only God himself possesses. Right. You got any thoughts on that, Omar? Uh, what's, am- what's amazing about that is how you put those two things together. Because, see, first of all, you're wrong for taking my black-eyed peas and collard greens from me. 
That's the first part. That's the that's the first Give it part up, of bro. the problem. Give it that's up. the first part. Of the then you tell me that I'm robbing God of His glory because I'm 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 looking at the black eyed peas as a ritual. And I'm saying I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna eat my cornbread and black eyed peas and give God His glory some way, <laughs> <laughs> some way somehow I gotta write this thing because you done took it all away from me. That's just wrong. <laughs> you bet you better write it, bro. And before listen, you, you know what happened. You now let me heart, let me go off script again here because you know you remember what happened. From that Facebook post that I wrote about how, why I don't uh, like soul food. See that's see that's that's really what's at issue here. I mean you <laughs> you you just you just <laughs> you you don't you don't like this food anyway. So it was easy for you to take <laughs> it was easy for you to take these pot shots you're taking, man. That's what's really at issue here. I don't want anyone hitting me up on Twitter, hitting me up on Facebook, or hitting me up on my blog saying that eating. Black eyed peas that I said eating black eyed peas and collard greens was wrong, <laughs> was superstitious. Okay, that is not what I said. Go ahead and ri- rewind the episode right here. Rewind the episode right here and listen again to what I said. Okay, <laughs> the problem is, is when you do those things and you attribute or impart yes. spiritual significance to them. Right. 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 Okay. Totally agree. Totally agree. I still That's what had, the problem is. I still had to get you, man. I still had to come for you on that one. So oh, I, I know where you're coming from, <laughs> Omaha. It's these other 400,000 listeners right, that right. I'm worried about. <laughs> right, right, right. right. No black eyed peas, collard greens. Listen, no praying to the picture of the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus for good luck for the rest of 2020. How about that? Right. How about exactly. that, right? What, you know, the, that, that that's those are the kinds of things that we've got to think about as we examine our own hearts. All of these things I think are valid challenges, man, as we examine our hearts. The reality is since we don't, we don't, we don't carve wooden statues anymore or bow down to them. We have a tendency to ignore the idolatrous nature of some of our most superstitious practices. And this, this time of year is especially rife with them. One of the, one of the fate, one, one of my favorites and this isn't a depiction of God as much as it as as it is that it doesn't flow from a from a biblical narrative is the idea of of the uh, of the wise men right as discussed in scripture there any right. you you look at any nativity scene what you're going to find are are three wise men in most nativity scenes right the, the bible doesn't mention three wise men mm-hmm. but it mentions wise men right. however people have attached gold frankincense and myrrh to the idea that there are only three wise men that came from the east Right. So again, all of these things, again, as, as lighthearted as we may, as we may, you, you know, as we may discuss them on this show, they do have implications that I think are weighty enough for us to soberly consider, which is why I'm really glad that we took the time to kind of unpack this, because these are the kinds of things we don't think about. Let me, let me say this, and, and I'll, I'll turn it back over to you. I did, a, you, you know that I've got a, a Bible study. It was a ladies' Bible study that, that I lead on Wednesday mornings, and, and we're, we're, we're walking through uh, J.I. Packer's uh, a book. Uh, oh, gosh, what's the name? What's the title of that book? Knowing God, knowing God. Yeah, how, Packer. How, how, how can Packer. I forget that one? Yeah, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And in the book, he talks about the incarnation. And when he does, he mentions how, again, at this time of year, how often we begin to create 
idols uh, around around the worship of Christ. We we keep him in the manger rather than recognizing that what the God the Father intended from before the foundation of the world is that the Lamb of God would be slain for the sins of the world. Mm-hmm. And and how important it is for us to make sure that in all of our celebratory efforts, we ensure that we have a biblical view of who God is. Why? Because in in doing so, we amplify the glory of God do his name rather than minimizing it to some trite experience or ignoring it altogether through superstitious practices that we engage in, that that we attach to familial tradition, you know, family tradition. Well, we always done it this way. And this is kind of what we've always done. And it has nothing to do with the biblical record, with giving God the glory, do his name and amplifying the God of the Bible. So again, I think all of these things are worth our time uh, and attention. And I, and I love what you're doing rather than, and again, I keep, I keep kind of dropping down below the, below the 10,000 foot level and, and picking up these little ideas, bits and pieces. But you're trying to keep us at that 50,000 foot level in an effort mm-hmm. to cause us to really examine our hearts theologically, so that we can ensure that we're giving God the honor to his name. I appreciate you for doing that. No problem, bro. You know, Omaha and his uh, institutes, I know you and I are, uh, both are big fans of John Calvin. Yep. And his institutes of the Christian religion, which I, listen, I realize the institutes is not a very easy read. No, and I say that from not. the standpoint, it is a very vol- voluminous read. Yeah, it is, yeah. But I recommend the Robert White translation. Get a copy of the Institutes of the Christian Religion, the Robert, the Robert White translation, which is an incredibly easy read. Uh, but I just want to quote from the Institutes real quick here from Calvin. Calvin said this in the Institutes of the Christian Religion, quote, when that light of divine providence has once shone upon a godly man, he is then relieved and set free not only from the extreme anxiety and fear that were pressing him before, but from every care, unquote. Mm. That's John Calvin in his Institutes of the Christian Religion. Now, what makes what Calvin is saying germane to the conversation we're having in this episode, Omaha, is that when discussing the topic of superstitious Christians, what is fundamentally at issue here is the problem of unbelief. Mm -hmm. The superstitious Christian is superstitious because he or she either doesn't trust God or they have an, an immature theology of God and right. his active, deliberate, and purposeful sovereignty over their lives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let me go off script again here. You know, when you look at the word superstitious from an etymological standpoint, when you look at the genesis and the origin of that word, mm-hmm. that word super means to stand over or above. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. So the word superstitious, if you want to exegete that word, it literally has the picture of someone standing over, watching over something. You, you, mm-hmm. you, you have this consciousness, this anxious consciousness that you're just standing over, watching over what's going on in your life to see if either something is going to happen or not happen. Mm-hmm. So that's the picture of superstitious that we, that we have when you really exegete that word. But again, I'm reiterating the point that fundamentally, when we talk about Christians who are superstitious, the fundamental problem they have is that they don't believe. They don't believe God. They don't trust God. Now, to underscore that point, 
Listen to these words from chapter 13 of the Belgic Confession of Faith from 1561. Matter of fact, the Belgic Confession of Faith is my favorite confession personally. I prefer mm. it even over the Westminster Confession. But listen to what is read, what is written rather in chapter 13 of the Belgic Confession of Faith. Quote, we believe that the same God, after he had created all things, did not forsake them or give them up to fortune or chance, but that he rules and governs them according to his holy will, so that nothing happens in this world without his appointment. This doctrine affords us unspeakable consolation, since we are taught thereby that nothing can befall us by chance, but by the direction of our most gracious and heavenly Father, who watches over us with a paternal care, keeping all creatures so under his power that not a hair of our head, for they are all numbered, nor a sparrow can fall to the ground without the will of our Father, in whom we do entirely trust, being persuaded that he so restrains the devil and all our enemies that without his will and permission, they cannot hurt us. Mm -hmm. That's from chapter 13 of the Belgic Confession of Faith from 15, the year 1561. Now I want to follow up those words from the Belgic Confession with these words from Psalm 121, verses 1 through 8. This is Psalm 121. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. The psalmist writes this, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and you're coming in from this time forth and evermore. Mm. Now notice the psalmist psalmist wrote in Psalm 121, verse 5. He said, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. Not a pot of black-eyed peas, (laughs) not a kettle of uh, collard greens, Mm -hmm. not having a male relative walk in and out of the rooms of your house to bring you good luck. Mm -hmm. No. You know, so with those words from the Belgian Confession in Psalm 121, in my mind, Omaha, my question is this. How can any professing Christian be superstitious knowing, mm-hmm. right, having an awareness of, but perhaps not being convinced that the God who watches over the universe and controls everything that happens in it is the same God who cares for their every individual need? That's good. How, how can a person be superstitious knowing that? Now, as I pose that question, I'm reminded of the words of John MacArthur from his book, Anxious for Nothing. And and Anxious for Nothing, MacArthur writes this, quote, If your concept of God is right and you see him as owner, controller, and provider, and beyond that as your loving father, then you know you have nothing to worry about. Mm. Since all things come under God's control, Rest assured, he controls those things on behalf of his children, unquote. Mm -hmm. That's John MacArthur from his book, Anxious for Nothing. Now, I quote MacArthur because his words speak to a point I made earlier, Omaha, and that when we reduce this topic to its most fundamental level, the superstitious Christian has an immature theology of God. 
and of his sovereignty. In other words, as MacArthur said, their concept of God is not right. And it can be made right only by renewing their mind mm-hmm. with the truth of God's word, as we know from what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. You got any thoughts on this, Omaha? I do, man. You shared a lot of content in that particular se- session, section. And, and I, I just want to encourage uh, – I, I want to provide another encouragement of, of something that I've said in the past about our – about having a robust theological education and making sure whether 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 it's something that you uh, endeavor to do in a formal way or on your own. I mean, I, I, I'm what you're causing me to do as I'm listening to you walk through this is to go back. I'm familiar with the Belgic Confession. It's been a while since I've read it. Familiar with Westminster. Been a while since I've walked through it. Uh, familiar. I'm a London Baptist guy. I'm you know familiar with it. It's been a while since I walked through it. I'm actually taking a group of young people. Through it, through a, a more you know a a modern form of that with uh, with the Baptist faith and message, and just kind of adding some content uh, to it so that they can have kind of a robust view of theology. But it, all of this goes back to what you said: those who practice or engage in superstitious practice, for the most part, have an uninformed or ill-informed or 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 at least a, a just at a novice level of 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 who God is. And, and the only way that it can get informed and be informed is by is by us taking our theological education seriously. So so going back and grabbing a Belgic confession, going back and grab this is not these kinds of concepts and ideas. I tell young people all the time, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Some great men and, you know, men and leaders who've thought through these ideas have written them down in such a way. We have what's called historic theology. Right. We have church history where we can go back and examine what those who thought well about God wrote down and we can examine them against the backdrop of Scripture to ensure that that things align. I think that that for me would be would be what what I would encourage uh, others to do. What I would exhort our listeners to do is to grab the what you mentioned, the Belgic Confession. You quoted from MacArthur's book, Anxious for Nothing. Go grab these kinds of tools and resources. Sit down and educate yourself thoroughly so that you're not susceptible to every wind of doctrine that tosses you to and fro. That's some great counsel, brother. And you know, up to this point, Omaha, I've been endeavoring to make the biblical case mm-hmm. that to be superstitious is essentially to display a lack of trust, yeah. a lack of faith, and unbelief in God. That's basically mm-hmm. the bottom line. Right. In many instances, Christians who are superstitious resort to such unbiblical means and methods out of a desire to improve their current station in life, whether it's financial, medical, occupational, educational, or otherwise. Along those lines, they've convinced themselves that God's plan can't possibly be that they remain in the situation and circumstance in which they currently find themselves. Mm -hmm. So in conjunction with their own feelings of insecurity and anxiety, they turn to unwise and ungodly alternatives such as superstitions and other naive shortcuts in an effort to bring into reality the kind of life they're convinced God wants them to have. (laughs) But it's to those people, okay, that emphasis on they're convinced, okay, now Mm -hmm. they've convinced themselves. This can't be God's will for me. Right. Okay. But it's to those people that I want to direct this quote from the book, Trusting God by the late Jerry Bridges. Mm. In Trusting God, Jerry Bridges wrote this, quote, The realization that God has planned our days for us should not lead us to a fatalistic acceptance of the status quo. 
if we have an opportunity to improve our situation in a way that will honor God, we should do so. But there has to be in our lives a delicate balance between godly efforts to improve our situation and godly acceptance of those situations that cannot be changed by us. For most of us, there are many seemingly adverse details of our lives that will not be changed regardless of our efforts or our prayers. They are simply part of God's plan for us. But the plan God ordained for you and wrote down in his book, even before you were born, is a good plan. I readily acknowledge there are many aspects of his plan for each of us that do seem harmful, that do seem calculated to take away hope. But here again, Bridges says, and he closes with this, but here again, we are called upon to walk by faith. Yeah. To trust God in the face of these adversities that will not go away. Unquote. Mm. That's from the book, Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. Mm-hmm. You know, now prior to reading that quote by Jerry Bridges, I commented that many Christians like to take shortcuts when it comes to God's will and plan for their life because they don't trust God. Now, an excellent example of that in scripture is in Genesis chapter 16. Mm-hmm. where Sarai takes matters into her own hands in an effort to bring about God's promise to give her and her son Abram a son. Mm-hmm. She's trying to bring this fruition, so she takes matters into her own hands. I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through the first part of verse 4. Mm-hmm. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go in to my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. He, that is Abram, went in to Hagar, and she conceived. That was Genesis chapter 16, 16, verses 1 through the first part of verse 4. Now, just to be clear, there was no superstition involved here with Sarai, with what Sarai did. But that's not the point I'm making here. The point I'm making is that Sarai did not trust God. Consequently, the entire world today, as I speak, continues to suffer for Sarai's disobedience as evidenced in the ongoing geopolitical conflicts that exist between the nation of Israel and her neighboring Islamic countries. Mm -hmm. By the way, and this is just an aside, I want to say this just as an aside, but I think it's important. It bears noting that in verse 2 of Genesis 16, where it says, and Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. The word listened in that verse is the Hebrew verb shama, S-H-A-M-A. That's shama, which translated means not only that Abraham, Abram rather, it means not only that Abram heard audibly what Sarai asked him to do, but that he yielded Mm -hmm. to what she asked him to do. Mm-hmm. That is incredibly important to note. Again, Genesis 16 to Abram 
listened to the voice of Sarai. So the Hebrew word there, again, listened, doesn't just mean that Abraham heard what she said, but had he that he heard what Sarai said and he yielded to it. Now, interestingly, it is that exact same Hebrew word, Shema, that is used in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, where God is doling out punishment to Adam, Eve, and to the serpent subsequent to the sin of Eve and Adam in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3, 17 reads this way. Then to Adam, he, that is God, said, because you have listened or yielded to your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it. Mm-hmm. Genesis three seventeen. Now, the lesson here, and I want to be clear on this. The lesson here is not that husbands should never listen to what their wives have to say mm-hmm. or vice versa for that matter. That is not the lesson here. Again, the lesson here is not that husbands should never listen to what their wives have to say or vice versa for that matter. The lesson here is that we should be extremely cautious of anyone, including those who are closest to us, such as a spouse, who would have us go outside of the declared parameters of God's word, even if doing so would seem to bring about God's will in Mm -hmm. our life. That makes sense, Omaha? I want to make sure everyone understands that. That's why it was so important for me to exegete that word listened in Genesis 3.17. I am not, and this is the third time I'm saying this. I'm not saying that husbands should never listen to what their wives have to say, nor am I suggesting that wives should never listen to what their husbands have to say. The counsel here and what we take from Genesis 3.17, that Abram yielded to what his wife said, that Adam yielded to what his wife said. It wasn't, it wasn't just what they said, right? It was that what they said led them to disobey God. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I let me, let me jump in here for just a second. Cause I, I don't want to, I don't want to interrupt your flow of thought, but what it reminded me of when you said that was the difference between what, what, uh, what Abram did, what, uh, what, what Adam did, and what Job did, right? Job, yes. Job, Job, Great chapter point. two, right? When Job uh, was was dealing with his his affliction and being tested, he says uh, then uh, says in Job two uh, verse nine. Then Job's wife said to him, "Do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die." And the response of Job is very different because in verse ten he says, "You speak as a foolish woman speaks." He told her, should we accept from God only good and not adversity? Mm -hmm. Uh, And and all of this, it says Job did not sin in what he said. Mm -hmm. So I I just bring that as as a distinction. He heard, he listened to what she said, but he did not yield to what she said, what she told him to do. Mm -hmm. That's an excellent point, Alpaha. Listen, faith in God means not only trusting God, but trusting him in such a way as to not attempt to circumvent or shortcut his providential and altogether righteous means and methods by resorting to other means and methods that are not in keeping with his divine will. That's what I'm saying here. The examples of Eve and Adam and Sarai and Abram are proof that stepping outside of God's will can have devastating consequences, not only for ourselves, but for others as well and for generations to come. So again, 
the overarching point I make it is not simply that Christians should not delve into the superstitious. That much should go without saying. <laughs> but that we are to trust God in whatever circumstance or situation in which we find ourselves and not resort to ungodly shortcuts that may very well resort in consequences that you never plan to encounter and from which you may never recover. Mm. I want to say that again, because that's a warning that somebody needs to heed. Mm-hmm. Or like they would say on TBN, I don't know who needs to hear this, but somebody <laughs> needs to hear what I'm saying right now. Right, right, right. Listen, again, the overarching point I'm making is not simply that Christians should not delve into the superstitious, but that we are to trust God in whatever situation we find ourselves in and not resort to shortcuts. Mm. That will resort in consequences that you never plan to encounter and from which you may never recover. Remember, the definition I read earlier in the episode that to be superstitious is defined as a belief or practice resulting from ignorance, fear of the unknown, trust in magic or chance, or a false conception of causation. An irrational abject attitude of mind toward the supernatural nature or God resulting from superstition, or this might be my favorite a notion maintained despite evidence to the contrary. Right. Now, God in his word has given ample evidence of his sovereign and providential rule of everything that occurs in his creation and among his creatures, that none of those definitions should should apply to anyone who professes to believe in him. Mm. Okay. God's word has given us ample enough evidence that none of those definitions that I just read should apply to anyone who professes to follow him. Any thoughts on that, Omar? Really, I, my thought initially was just to bring the contrast because I, 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 your flow of thought was just so well. I thought, man, the only thing I could do to add to it would be, would be to be, to bring that contrast that I brought with regard to Job and the difference between what, what Abram and Adam did compared to the manner in which Job dealt with with his wife, who who was trying to get him to do the exact same thing, which was 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 to do something that he knew that was contrary to the will of God, which was to curse God and die. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I thought to bring that conscious, the, the, the only other, I, I felt like, man, this section of what you shared was really the mic drop. I mean, it's really the crescendo of all that 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 you're trying to put together in uh, in this episode. I mean, at, at the end of the day, we, we need to know that ultimately, whether good or bad, whether the situation is in our favor or not, that it's outside of our control and that we need to rely mm-hmm. on God uh, in the good and the bad. It goes back to that scripture verse uh, that, that you quoted earlier. One of the, I think you said it was one of your, one of your favorites. I, yeah, it was uh, Ecclesiastes 7, 14. 14, yeah. You said, in the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, remember the Lord has made the one as well as the other. And those kinds of things are only said by people who walk through something. Right. Uh, th- those kinds of those kinds of holding on to those because because we've come out on the other side, right? We've we've dealt with God and the good. We understand, hey, this is great. I'm I'm having a great time. This is all everything's. I'm having my best life now, you know. So you, you're feeling, you know, God's presence and 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 all the good things that come with that. But also knowing that, man, when things are not going your way, when things are mm-hmm. absolutely in the opposite place, that God is there, too. And, and oftentimes 
we actually find an extra measure of God's grace and presence in those difficult times and circumstances. So for, for us to think we can somehow circumvent that through some ritualistic practice or some superstitious approach to life is, is foolishness. It's it really absolute is, foolishness. And, 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 I, and I, like I said, I think the section that you just walked through really is the mic drop. For, for, for all of it. It really, it really points people to, I think, exactly where we need to be. You know, and again, Omaha, just to reiterate, again, but the bottom line here, when all is said and done, when all that we've talked about is said and done in this episode, fundamentally, the case that I'm making here is that superstition is unbelief. Absolutely. If you really want to summarize my thesis in this episode, it is simply that superstition is unbelief. Yeah. You know, I, I sort of uh, facetiously referred to earlier of Romans 8.28 as everyone's favorite verse. <laughs> right, right. But on a serious note, I want to challenge our listeners, the next time you want to cite or refer to Romans 8.28, read Romans 8.28 up against Ecclesiastes 7.14. Mm. That's when you'll find out if you really believe Romans 8.28. Right, right. When you can say that all things work together for good to those who love God, and then say alongside parallel to that, that God creates the day of prosperity and the day of adversity. Mm-hmm. When you can read Romans eight twenty eight in parallel with Ephesians, I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes seven fourteen, or mm-hmm. in parallel to Philippians one twenty nine, mm-hmm. for to you has been granted for Christ's sake to not only to believe in Him but to suffer for His sake. Right, right. Now I, I think about it in light of in light of Romans eight twenty nine. I mean, it says for those he foreknew, he predestined all of those things work together because he foreknew us. He predestined us. And the predestination was for the purpose of us being conformed into the image of his son, conformed into the image of his son. So the good and the bad, the bad that happens is for the purpose of being of us being conformed into the image of of his son. I mean, the, the hardships, the challenges of life, mm-hmm. all of those things that peel back the, the flesh nature on the inside of us, the sin filled nature on the inside of us uh, require us to die to self, to deny self, to take up our cross and follow him. And, you know, Omaha, just to dovetail on what you just said, what did the scriptures say about Jesus himself? It said that he learned obedience through the things he suffered. Absolutely. The Christ learned obedience through the things he suffered. You know, in his book, um, Pilgrim Theology, Core Doctrines for Christian Disciples, theologian Michael Horton writes this, quote, Apart from the gospel, we flee from God's self-revelation, dressing folly in the robe of wisdom and ungodliness mm. in the garments of virtue. I think I need to read that one wow. again because this is, wow. this is exactly oh, what we're talking good. about. We're talking about yeah. superstition. It's folly. Mm-hmm. Horton yeah. writes this again. This is from his book, Pilgrim Theology, Core Doctrines for Christian Disciples. Horton says, apart from the gospel, we flee from God's self-revelation, dressing folly in the robe of wisdom and mm. ungodliness in the garments of virtue. <laughs> it is ultimately an ethical, man, this is so good. It is mm-hmm. ultimately, Horton writes, an ethical revolt against the God who made us mm-hmm. an ethical revolt, Omaha, an ethical mm-hmm. revolt against God through revelation. I'm continuing to court Horton, Horton here through revelation, the incomprehensible and utterly transcendent God places himself 
within our reach. The sovereign God who eludes our attempts at mastery by speculation, good works, or mystical experience places himself in our hands as a free gift. Instead of being consumed, we are reconciled, redeemed, and made adopted heirs of his kingdom in the Son and by his Spirit, through his word. Just as we are created in God's image and likeness, yet intersecting with divinity at no point, Mm -hmm. our knowledge is a creaturely version of the truth which God accommodates to our capacity and reveals through ordinary speech and speakers. Horton closes with this. As the infinite creator, God alone possesses absolute knowledge. Every fact is interpreted and we need God's interpretation if we are to know reality properly. Wow. Wow. That, that, that sounded like, and I'm, I'm, I know you're getting ready to run into some other, other content that the first part of that just reminded me of Romans one eighteen through 23. First of all, it it just, it just kind of unpacks it, but, but then it's like, he takes it to a whole nother level and places the creature and the creator, the two ism that we talked about before from Peter, from Peter, Peter Jones, Places those categories in their proper context. This is that, mm-hmm. that's phenomenal. I, I makes I, I've got Horton's Pilgrim's Theology on my stack of stuff that I need to walk through. Hearing you walk through that, I'm like, I got to pick that up sooner rather than later. And see, the thing about Horton, what Horton says here in Pilgrim Theology, the quote that I just read, <coughs> especially see, you got people out there who are listening to us right now, and I know they're thinking this. Oh well, but it's harmless. It's not hurting anybody. What's the big deal about? You know, making sure that we hold to these traditions that we've been taught that have been passed down to our families, such as, you know, making sure that on New Year's Day, we don't wash any clothes. You know, you don't want to do you don't do any laundry on New Year's Day. Uh, You want to make sure that all your all your dirty laundry is done before New Year's Day arrives. What's the big deal about making sure we have black eyed peas and collard greens and right. And uh, what's the problem with doing the first foot thing where we have a male relative walk through the rooms of our house? Well, I'll tell you what the big deal is. It's like Horton says, it's it's an ethical revolt against the God who made you in his Mm -hmm. image. Mm -hmm. And see, here's the thing with us Christians. And again, this for this entire episode, bro, we've been talking to Christians. I I don't care what the world does. I expect them to do this kind of stuff. Right, right, right. Uh, that's why we t- that's why we titled this episode Superstitious Christianity. We didn't type it, we didn't title it Superstitious Worldliness. Right. The Superstitious Christianity. So I'm talking to Christians right now who do this kind of stuff. It's an ethical revolt against the God who made you. Mm-hmm. But it's like Horton says what we do, we dress up this kind of folly in, as, as as and see it as wisdom, as ungodliness. We see it as harmless. You know, but I, but back to your point about bringing up the whole golden calf thing. Mm-hmm. These are these are just these are just other manifestations of golden calves in right. our lives, right? You know, and, and and Horton's words bring to mind this exhortation from the Apostle James in James chapter one verses five through eight. I, I couldn't help thinking of this text as I was uh, studying up for this episode and quoting Horton from uh, Pilgrim Theology. Listen to what James says. In James chapter one, verses five through eight, he says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, 
and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Mm -hmm. That was from James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. I read that because the superstitious, distrusting, doubting, unbelieving Christian is a Christian who is double-minded. Essentially, he or she is, as I've heard Dr. Stephen Lawson put it, someone whose feet are firmly planted in midair. That's a good description of what double-mindedness is. It's mm-hmm. like having both feet firmly planted in midair, which, of course, is impossible to do. <laughs> Listen, only God is sovereign. Only God is omniscient. Only God is omnipotent. Only God is all-powerful. As the Apostle John writes in John chapter 1, verse 3, all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So if you're seeking wisdom, guidance, direction, advice, or instruction from any other source than the objective truth of the all-wise, all-knowing, and all-powerful God of Holy Scripture, you're merely engaging in an exercise in futility, one that could potentially have eternal implications and ramifications for you because such behavior is rooted in unbelief in the one who knows your every need. That's good. Not just when you ask him, but before you ask him. Mm -hmm. Okay? That's exactly what you're doing. If you're seeking wisdom and guidance anywhere outside of Scripture, you're indulging in the exercise of futility. That behavior is rooted in unbelief in the one who knows your every need. He knows your every need, not just when you ask him, but even before you ask him. We know this from the word of God in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 and 32. This is Matthew 6, 31 and 32. Do not worry then, this is Jesus speaking, do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink mm-hmm. or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek, or are unbelievers, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Okay? Now, I think it's important to note here that the word knows in Matthew 6.32 is the Greek verb oida. That's spelled O-I-D-A. That's what the word knows is in Matthew 6.32 in the Greek. The Greek verb oida, which translated means not only that God is aware, okay? It means not only that God is aware of and understands what we need, but that he knows exactly how to meet the needs that we have. Mm. Our problem in Omaha is that we often disguise needs as wants. (laughs) Right, right, right. Somebody might want to queue up the Hammond B3 on that one. Right, 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 right. Our problem in the church as Christians is that we want to disguise needs as wants. But that is precisely why we would do well to consider the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, 31 and 32, which I just read. We would do well to consider those words alongside the words of the Apostle Paul 
in First Timothy chapter six, verses eight and nine, where Paul writes this: If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and mm-hmm. destruction. That's good. That's good. Now, First Timothy five nine. I'm sorry. First Timothy. 6 verse 9, 1 Timothy 6 verse 9, that phrase, quote, who want to get rich, unquote, that phrase is the Greek verb bulomai. That's B-O-U-L-O-M-A-I. Bulomai, which translated means to purpose to be rich, to be wealth-minded, to desire or will to be rich, as an affection of the heart. Yeah. Okay. That's first Timothy six, nine, that phrase, those who want to get rich, that Greek verb there is speaking of people who desire in their heart to be rich as an affection. This is something they passionately want. They are wealth minded. Their entire existence is to be rich. Now, the reason I thought it necessary to take the time to read and exposit those passages in Matthew 6 and 1 Timothy 6, is that discontentment and worldliness are primary reasons why many professing believers resort to the superstitious. Mm. One of the worst decisions a Christian can make is to allow an attitude of discontentment to reorient their affections that they turn from God and from his will for their life toward something that is ungodly and unbiblical in a self-centered attempt to satisfy their prideful discontentment. Mm -hmm. That is one of the worst things you can do as a Christian is to allow a mindset of discontentment to transform your affections so that you turn from God. And see, when we turn from God, we always turn to something else. Yeah, we do. Absolutely. You, you never turn from God to nothing. Nothing, right. You always right. turn from God to someone or something else. That's good. And when you allow discontentment to reorient your affections so that you turn away from God and from his will for your life in a self-centered attempt to satisfy your own flesh, that's disobedience. And you need to be on guard against allowing a spirit of discontentment to lead you into even further disobedience against God than the, the other superstitious rites and rituals that you're already engaged in. Now, I know we're about to close, Omaha. Do you have any final thoughts, bro? No, just I mean, this was this, this the ending of the process was just a great exhortation and encouragement to Christians. I think you set it up well. Basically, this is not aimed at the at, at the lost. This is not aimed at at those who don't know Christ. This is this is aimed at those of us who are believers in Christ <clears throat> who are engaged in superstitious practice. I think you said it you said it well up front. Superstition actually equals unbelief. Unbelief. Bottom and, line, th- th- listen, there's there's no question about that. Superstition is unbelief in God. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and and any kind of any kind of attempt to engage in ritualistic uh, and, and superstitious ritualistic practice, that's idolatry. That's absolute idolatry. I think the point you made toward the end is, is sound. If we're not worshiping God and the, the, the true sovereign God of Scripture, 
and and knowing him fully and, and trusting him completely, our affection will move to someone or something else. It's not it's not a zero sum. It's not well God or nothing. It's God or something that you'll replace God with, and that's something we have to be on guard with. So yeah, that that's that that pretty much wraps up, man. I I know we're 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 ending. 2019 and uh man this was an amazing year i i just was curious as we as we close man and i know the the, the next time we uh we we talk to folks will be uh will be at g g3 uh the g3 conference i you have any thoughts any closing remarks any things you wanted to add as as we wrap up uh 2019 you know i appreciate you omaha giving me an opportunity to do this and i just want to say how humbled we are at all of our loyal listeners and supporters of the mm-hmm. Just Thinking podcast and how and for their prayers and, and just how encouraging they've been to us throughout the year of 2019. This year has been an amazing year for the Just Thinking podcast. We launched Omaha, right? It was two years ago this month. Yeah, it was. It was two years ago, December 2017, that we did our first episode, and now we're approaching our 100th episode. I think within the next two to three episodes, we have we will have achieved that mark of uh, doing 100 episodes. I don't think the G3 episode, which is, and by the way, for those of you who will be attending or streaming the G3 conference in Atlanta in January, uh, Omaha and I will be doing a live podcast episode from the G3 conference. Mm -hmm. I think that episode Omaha will still be maybe one or two episodes shy of the 100 episode mark. But that notwithstanding, I just want to say, I really don't have the words to express uh, how much our listeners mean to us. Yeah. Uh, we really do love every last one of you without you. There would no, be no purpose for us in doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so thank you uh, each and every one of you uh, for supporting the podcast, for sharing the episodes on social media, for giving us encouragement through your feedback, uh, mm-hmm. your, your comments, your reviews. Uh, if you've been blessed by the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple's I, Apple uh, iTunes. We'd appreciate that. That would be so uh, uh, encouraging to us. But thank you all so much for hanging in there with us, uh, uh, especially during this year of 2019, Omaha, which was a huge transition for uh, my wife and me and, and then my family back in Atlanta, where uh, my wife and I picked up and uh, uh, moved out here to, to California so that I could come serve at Grace to You. Uh, mm-hmm. This year was a huge challenge to us, challenge to us in many ways. Uh, you and I took some time off from doing the podcast, but we got back on the horse in March of this year with a new episode on sexual purity in the church. So, uh, again, all that to say, thank you to our listeners. You guys do mean a great deal from us, and uh, we hope you'll stay with us, uh, Lord willing, as we continue uh, just uh, a, a, you know expositing the Word of God against these issues that the church uh, faces and uh, in 2020. So, thank you all again. Absolutely. Well, listen, it's been an amazing 2019. It's been my joy to be uh, to, to play Robin to your Batman on this show, man. We always, always have a good time chopping it up, laughing, joking, talking, and then diving really hit, you know, deep uh, into the word of God. And so, again, for our listeners, Daryl teed it up well, man. We're grateful for you. We read every comment. We read every tweet. We read, we, we read it all. And so uh, we're grateful to you. Thanks for a great 2019. We got some stuff in store for you next year, Lord willing. So stay tuned. Stay connected with us. Uh, and, and be sure to tune in for the next edition of the Just Thinking Podcast.